0: Welcome to Mom Enough. With your co host, developmental psychologist Dr. Marty Erickson and Dr. Erin Erickson, paternal child health specialist and nurse practitioner. Here's my grandma Marty. And here's Erin, my mom enough. Welcome to Mommy Enough. I'm Marty Erickson here with my daughter Erin and She is our guest today, how about that? I'm very excited to do this interview with Erin. This was my idea and I think it's just a really interesting topic that we're gonna be discussing, very much tied to another aspect of her work beyond what we do together on Mom Enough. Erin, as most of you know, is a nurse practitioner, national board certified health and wellness coach, and a maternal child health specialist. And of course, she also is the co-host and co-founder of Mom Enough. In Erin's clinical practice, she uses mind-body medicine, teaching patients tools they can use to manage their symptoms of chronic disease, chronic pain, stress, overwhelm, and anxiety. And one of the mind-body practices that she uses with many of her patients is clinical hypnosis. I bet you didn't know that. But I wanted Aaron to tell us what this really means, because I think many times when we hear the word hypnosis, some of us think of party tricks. In fact, I was telling a friend of mine, a gentleman who's an attorney and uh, had gone to a few parties where they did hypnosis party tricks, and when I mentioned something about Aaron using clinical hypnosis in her work, he started telling tales about some of the party tricks he'd seen, you know, having a volunteer agree to be hypnotized on stage, then telling them to quack like a duck or bark like a dog. But what is hypnosis really? And more specifically, what is clinical hypnosis? So um, Aaron, welcome. Yes. Well, thanks for having me on. <laughs> yes, I'm so glad to have you. We just admire your work so much here at Mommy you know. <laughs> That's so funny. I know. Yeah. Well, I really, you know, you and I talk about this and, and of course I know something about clinical hypnosis, although it's not been a part of my work as a developmental psychologist, but um, I'm very intrigued with it. And, and we've had at least one guest on our Mom Enough podcast before, who is a physician at the University of Minnesota, and uses clinical hypnosis um, with children. And so that was really intriguing to both of us and to many of our listeners. And I think he actually might have been one of the people who kind of got you started on your interest in that. Is that correct?
1: Yes. And we're talking about Andrew Barnes, who's a behavioral pediatrician, and he- is very involved in uh, Nifty, which is the uh, National um, uh, Pediatric Hypnosis Training Institute. And he is inspired me to explore this because I was really intrigued by what he was saying. Me and, too. and so that's kind of what led me to begin to explore this and and now ultimately use it every day in my clinical practice. And so I think just like you said, you know, when people hear hypnosis, they do think of stage hypnosis and or they think of um, things they've seen in the media and TV shows and movies. And um, and and the reality is that uh, that's really not hypnosis or clinical hypnosis. Um, Clinical hypnosis is hypnosis that is done in a clinical setting. Um, by a trained clinician. So that might be a psychologist or uh, a nurse practitioner or a physician or a PA. And interestingly, um, hypnosis locally, there's a lot of hypnosis being done uh, and, and being used in pediatric settings, like for example, at children's hospitals and clinics, where they use clinical hypnosis with children who are um, receiving palliative care, for example. And so there are, um, you know, a a lot of ways that, that what we see in the media really isn't the way it looks in real life. And, um, and so really all it is, is it's, it's a mind body medicine tool and it's using the mind to affect change in the mind and body. And it involves kind of a, a controlled, I would say, modulation of, of, our awareness of perceptions and beliefs. And um, it can be used in many different ways. So uh, what I always tell my patients is the purpose of of this hypnosis is that you can learn these techniques and apply them yourself and do self-hypnosis. So really, uh, the, the purpose is to kind of work myself out of a job in that regard, and that my patients will learn techniques that they can use Uh, To safely manage their symptoms, and and the beauty of it is that it's um, it's very very safe. Uh, There's very few risks involved with hypnosis because it's it's uh, you know doesn't involve medications. You don't have to worry about interactions. Um, One way that I like to, to to describe hypnosis is that it's really about a focused attention. Now, I'm sure we can all think of times where we've been in the immersed immersed in an activity, and we were really in the flow, and we were focused, and just time kind of slipped away from us. And that is very much like the state of mind that we're in uh, with hypnosis. So I would compare that to times where you're maybe kind of zoning out. Hypnosis is really zoning in. <laughs> it's kind of a... Oh, that's a, a
0: great phrase.
1: Yeah. yeah. So. It's really similar in many ways to other mind-body approaches like meditation. So uh, lots of people today use apps like Calm and Insight Timer, and they might listen to guided meditations. And as a frequent user of those apps myself, I've noticed that a lot of those guided meditations actually are hypnosis. They use hypnotic uh, suggestions. So that's really the distinguishing factor is that It's very similar to guided meditation, but in addition to just guiding you to think about like your breath or imagery, you use as a clinician suggestions to help um, kind of change how people are behaving or their experience of symptoms. So uh, you might say something like, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you noticed as you notice your breath that you felt a deeper sense of comfort and ease. So you kind of add that suggestion. And what I am am really intrigued with is we know when people are in a relaxed state that something called brain-derived neurotrophic factor goes up. That's also called BDNF. And that is involved in um, making new connections in your brain, making new neural connections. And um, I'm really curious to see as we learn more and more about the mind and um, kind of the mind and body connection, if maybe that really relaxed state of hypnosis coupled with the elevated BDNF might actually be part of why it can be effective because in a relaxed state, our brain makes more connections. And we know this from learning. I'm sure we can all think of a time where we were really stressed and cramming for a test And then you go to take the exam and you're like, oh, I know I saw that. I just can't remember it. But if we're calm and relaxed, we're likely going to remember more details. And that's part of that, that um, component of that. So Anyway, it's 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 definitely not um making people bark like dogs or quack like ducks.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. That would be kind of distressing I think to uh, experience that or to witness it. But I wonder Erin, you're talking about the guided meditation and and then how you make these suggestions about, you know, I can just imagine that you're uh you know, or how you said it better than that. But um, can you give us a couple of concrete examples of situations and maybe just generally kind of identify uh, an issue? Obviously, you can't, you know, say too much because you have uh, patients in town who are working with you on this. But just give a couple of examples and and say those words, or maybe even think about um, anxiety I've been struggling with recently and and say, to me, what you might say, and, and two things in my life I would say that you know about because I tend to confide in you a lot, it's been really stressful for me to try to find a quiet place to work these days because my husband has retired now and he's home a lot more and and he kind of moves around the house all the time. You know, he has all this nervous energy and and so I've, I've been trying to find a quiet place to do my high concentration work. That's number one. And another one is I have um, a lot of pain in my knee because I injured my knee skiing when I was very young. And now that I'm getting quite old, I have bad arthritis in that knee and I love to be super active. I'm getting ready to go on a ski trip tomorrow, hoping that my knee will hold up. But um, anyway, those are two things that are on my mind. So maybe you want to pick one of those and and uh, just kind of give an example. Is that okay?
1: Yeah, that's great. So let's start with the pain um, because a lot of my patients are dealing with chronic pain. Yeah. And um, so one thing uh, we might do, which typically with hypnosis, you start with something called an induction or introduction. And that's kind of the first phase of, of the hypnosis experience where you're just getting people into more of that Relaxed, calm state. So, I often will have people just start by noticing their breath, and they might notice that the air on the inhale is a bit cooler than the air on the exhale. And it's pretty amazing as human beings that we can notice something as subtle as the difference in temperature from an inhale to an exhale. And then I might say something like, There's nothing you need to do right now, there's nothing anyone needs from you. And of course, you're in control and you can just notice your breath. And then I might say, and maybe as you notice your breath, you might notice that you feel a bit more calm and relaxed. And so, you know, starting that introduction and helping people feel more calm and at ease. And then we often will deepen that sense of relaxation. And, you know, it could be something like having them imagine that they're stepping down a staircase and feeling more at ease with each step down. Mm.
0: And And that's the hardest task for me with my knee right now is stepping down a stair.
1: So, you know, we might use a different image for you if you had told me like, oh, it's really painful to go downstairs. We might use something else. Uh, But the reality is when we're using our minds, even if we have pain doing something in everyday life, When we do that in our minds, we often don't experience those same things. So, that can actually be a helpful way to experience something that maybe you can't experience anymore. And so, once we get people to this more relaxed state, then we can um, kind of start to guide them through the process of of trying different things or um, imagining different things. So, for example, with pain, we might use something like a pain dial. So I might uh, guide someone to find those fine kind of thread-like wires throughout their body and where they go up their spine and they meet in their brain and uh, see if they can maybe find that pain dial in their brain. And uh, especially with children who are very visual and imaginative, it's very easy for them to do this, but adults are also able to do this. And so I might ask them to tell me during the hypnosis, what does that pain dial look like? What color is it? Um, what color are those little fine wires that transmit the signals from different parts of your body? And then you can guide them through the process of turning down the pain dial. So that would be one way to do it. Or mm-hmm. also with pain, we might say, you know, uh, uh, use a, a, a gate analogy. So. There are gates all along the way, and I wonder where the gate is that might stop that pain signal from being transmitted. And can you close that gate? So it's it's really using imagery in that way. Um, and you know, it's a trial and error. Of course, you try different things and and you experiment it, and you see how it works, and and you adjust based on on that person. Now, you mentioned the, this kind of stressful situation of being you know, retired and home and you're both around the house and, um, you know, feeling like you don't have a lot of space for quiet. And, um, and you know, it may be too that the more, you know, you're kind of in that space and worried about it, the more you even notice those sounds. Yeah, and things. for sure. For sure. So we might use some suggestions based on um, that you might be able to find that when you Focus on your breath and you take some time, you can create space where you're less tuned into those sounds. And I can think of many examples where we're in our homes and maybe there's a sound of a fan in the background and we really don't even notice that sound until we notice it. And then once we notice it, we really notice it. But we can also easily distract ourselves from that too. And so we could use something like that, or maybe even just addressing the actual feelings of stress and overwhelm, and how can we create a little less stress around that, where maybe then feeling less stress, you'll find that you feel less bothered by the noises. Um, Mm. And of course, it could also just be practical things, like maybe you could buy a pair of uh, noise-canceling headphones.
0: (laughs) Yes, there you go. (laughs) So
1: so we might brainstorm other ways that we can navigate
0: things too. Yeah, practical strategies. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And you know, I think um, I I know a lot of people who say they really have trouble with meditation. And yet, I think with having an appointment, like you do a lot of your patient visits well, you do all your patient visits virtually. um, And I could imagine that being on a, a zoom session or a, you know, virtual session with you, and having you speak in your most comforting voice. And kind of lead me through a tailored meditation, if you will, or vi- creative visualization that you've created, would really be a step a step beyond what I can do and what many people say they can do with meditation. I mean, I don't I don't struggle with meditation too much, but I have some friends who say they just absolutely can't do it. They can't step out, you know, without without something more. So I think the something more is, uh, or could be this clinical hypnosis, which is a really comforting approach.
1: Yeah, that's a, a great insight. And and the reality is uh, people have different kind of ability or natural kind of like ability to be hypnotized, I guess. And, and I don't yeah. like to describe it like that because it's not like someone's doing something to you. You're very much in control in the process. But, you know, when it comes to meditation, I I think part of people's struggle with that is that our societal expectation is that you're going to quiet your mind. And that's just not the reality of meditation. Meditation isn't about quieting your mind. It's about being aware of the fact that, oh, now you're thinking about this list of to do. And then, oh, let's come back to whatever it is you're focused on, whether that's breath or an image. And so really the practice of meditation is to get to the point where you become more quickly aware of the fact that your mind is wandering and then you come back to the focus and yeah. just that practice of back to the focus and noticing is is really helpful and so um there's a great book um uh called Med- meditation for fidgety skeptics and a lot of people <laughs> i love that really like that book and um and so I think there's there's Part of it is just letting go of our preconceived notions of what that means. And um, it does get easier. Practice makes things easier. It's not about perfect. And as human beings, we are thinking people. We are thinking animals. And so our our natural instinct is to think. and, And the purpose is not to turn that off. And even with hypnosis, I'll have patients say, oh, you know, I was kind of distracted here and then I came back to focus. And that's okay. Um, hmm. it's not a, 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 perfect thing. And so, uh, it's really just a matter of kind of practice and continuing to notice. And I tell people like, it's amazing that you noticed that you were distracted. Cause that tells me you were paying attention. So, no, hmm.
0: oh, that's great. That's great. I, I have another question. You, I know you treat both uh, adults and children, and some people, like the the uh, University of Minnesota pediatrician we mentioned, and Andy Barnes, Andrew Barnes, um, works just with children. Um, but what, uh, in what ways, is uh, clinical hypnosis the same or different at those points in life? I mean, are there certain things that are are really good to use or, you know, have been used a lot with children that would be different in some significant way?
1: Well, I think the biggest difference with children is that they're at a stage of development where their brains are highly uh, creative and imaginative and I mean, much of of the work of childhood is just using that imagination. And so it comes very easily often for kids. And so, of course, you're going to tailor your approach to uh, the the developmental stage of whoever you're working with. Now, I work mostly with um, older kids, so like adolescents, and then, of course, adults. But much of the training I've done has been focused on pediatrics. And so you're going to use, you know, imagery that's relevant to that age. But many of the same techniques like the pain dial um, can be used at any age. And so um, I think that uh, the, the training that's focused on pediatrics is actually very applicable to any age uh, of patient and, and client. And so um, it's really just about that kind of connection with your client, determining what's meaningful to them. So often I will uh, you know, spend the first part of the visit just talking to hear more about you know, what what do they do? What's important to them? What's why did they come? And so if I hear say that a teenager is um plays baseball or something, I'm gonna probably integrate some baseball metaphors. Um if I I have uh I had a patient once who described a passion for making candy. Um and now because I grew up making fudge with my grandmother, (laughs) I know a bit about making candy. So I talked about how, you know, when we first learn something, it's really hard and, uh, and making candy can be very hard. You have to get it to just the right temperature, uh, depending on what kind of candy, like softball stage, for example. So, you know, I might integrate that metaphor into the hypnosis. And so it's a very creative and kind of collaborative process in that, you know, it's what's happens in the hypnosis is dependent on what that person brings forth. So that can Mm. really apply to any age or stage.
0: Well, I could picture this working very nicely too with a parent and child together. I don't know if you or if other people do that, but, uh, and I realize it's very individualized to the kinds of images that are meaningful to a a child or an adult, but it seems that some of the things could could really be done with a parent and child at the same time. Do you know of that being done?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I do not know of that being done um, because I think it's often a very personalized thing. But yeah, it might
0: be an interesting thing to explore. <laughs> for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm so focused in my own research and work on the the nature of the parent-child interaction and the you know the reciprocity of that and finding finding ways to. Kind of calm down and regroup together after a blow up or something or a you know an intense yeah. situation. So I don't know that that's just a an off the off the chart question you know that I yeah that well I thought of yeah I, yeah I think
1: at 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 the very least uh, including the parent as as far as kind of um, letting them know uh, what's been done so they might be able to remind the child remember that technique you used how could you is this a good time to think about your pain dial or is this a good time for your, your deep breathing and
0: imagining yeah. whatever
1: it is that. that yeah. You that
0: makes great sense. And, you know, perhaps kids of a certain age could also remind their parents. About <laughs> for <it>. sure. <laughs> you know, kids love to love to be in charge that way. I, I have a real specific question about training because you did mention before the, the kinds of professions that are often using clinical hypnosis and I, are there um, standards, and uh, I'm sure there, there are, but what can you tell us about the standards for specialized training specifically in clinical hypnosis? Because, you know, a physician or a, a nurse practitioner with a doctorate like you, you have a whole lot of education, but this is a, a new tool, a different tool than you probably had um, in your original training, and so... What is required for someone to, uh, you know, to be paid, or or does insurance cover it? Sometimes, um, that, how does that work in terms of credentialing and and the way it works within the healthcare system?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, and I mean, it it certainly depends a lot on how it's set up in the clinic setting, and um, if it's part of other services. You know, it's usually billed as part of just those other services. Uh, But when it comes to who can do this, I mean, to do clinical hypnosis, you have to be a clinician of some type. So a psychologist, a physician, um, a dentist, for example, there's dentists who do this. Um, That is different from, say, hypnosis that um, any old person could maybe go get some training in. And I personally think that uh, clinical hypnosis is sort of the um, gold standard as far as, you know, you have people who have advanced training in other areas and really understand um, kind of the the human body and, and mind in different ways. Now, um, it's going to look very different depending on who's doing it. So a dentist is maybe going to be focusing more on anesthesia or numbing and and things that are appropriate to their work. They're probably not going to be doing hypnosis for for generalized anxiety or sure. depression or things like that um the same can be said for a psychologist so in my practice i'm not going to be doing um a lot of hypnosis as focused on complex mental health issues whereas a psychologist might um do more around trauma and other kinds of things um though i do address anxiety and in in my practice, uh, but it's, you know, dependent on kind of the level of that. Um, so I might be doing more around pain and things. There are, um, there is the American society of clinical hypnosis and they have a certification program. You don't have to be certified to do this. There's lots of trainings. Um, so for example, I've done my trainings through the national pediatric hypnosis training Institute, and also with Michael Yapko, who kind of wrote the, the, uh, one of the leading textbooks. textbooks on. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I think that certification is, is a great thing and, but many people who are working towards that certification are using hypnosis in practice because you really need to be using it to, to get to that point of, of the process. So, um, so that that's, those are yeah. important things to think about, but I think there are a lot of people doing hypnosis and um, maybe not doing it in the, the safest or m- most appropriate ways. And I would really um, encourage people if they're especially dealing with a mental health issue that you know they work with a psychologist, if, if they're dealing with other kind of physical things that they could maybe work with someone who's got uh, training that's relevant to that. But I think that the, the concern I would have is someone who's a lay person who's learning hypnosis. Now, doesn't mean they might not be one of the best people to do hypnosis, but if they don't have that background and training, I, I think that's definitely a cause for concern.
0: Uh, that makes good sense. Um, what can you say about the kinds of issues or conditions that clinical hypnosis is most likely to be um, appropriate and effective? And I know you've, you've mentioned some general issues here, but um, is there anything in the research, for example, that says that this is really effective for this and that or the other thing.
1: Yeah, and and there is a lot of research, including randomized controlled trials on clinical hypnosis, um, you know, related to pain, um, even like abdominal pain and quality of life factors for Crohn's disease, back pain. Um, interestingly, uh, there's some good uh, research on the use of hypnosis for hot flashes in women in perimenopause and menopause. Um, so hmm. I, I think, you know, also with uh, anxiety, depression, the research is I mean, it's it's there's a lot to that. I mean, it's a complicated question and that, you know, there's some studies that might show it's really helpful for some things and then maybe another study didn't find as strong of result. So I think continued research is needed. Um, one thing that I thought was kind of interesting is there's some research and of course it's a bit mixed, but uh, there has been some benefits shown to using hypnosis for things like warts. Um, so you have you know, kids who maybe just have those warts that just keep coming back despite repeated treatments uh, that people are using hypnosis for warts. And, and the research on that is a bit mixed, but there's some positive uh, re- benefits uh, and, and some positive Outcome seen with that, so I think it can be really applied in so many different settings, and um, yeah. you know, it's it's going to be really individual as far as someone's responsiveness to that specific approach. And so, always good to to be mindful of whether or not this is working, and if it's not, then to try something else.
0: Yeah, and I think that whole 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 thing about. Doing randomized controlled studies and really the gold standard of methodology in in studying all kinds of interventions in medicine or in mental health or whatever, um, it gets really complicated with our funding streams. And, you know, sometimes the political context in our country or in our state is such that uh, research is really valued and there's more uh, government support. And then other, uh, you know, other things will only be studied if they're under the umbrella of pharmaceuticals and the pharmaceutical companies pay for it.
1: Oh, exactly. And I I mean, we have to look at where's the money. And, you know, if you have an end product that costs money and that a company could develop and sell, you're going to end up with more research on that. And and I think we have to really think about what does evidence-based practice mean, um, or as, I, as many people call it now, evidence-informed practice, because with something like hypnosis, I mean, I guess if you're using a, a structured script, that would be one way to test it. But you ha- can't ignore the person who is assisting with that. Um, exactly. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you can't, uh, you, it's hard to control for that. Um, you know, I, it's like that clinical uh, rapport can change depending on who's doing it.
0: So, well, that's true with interventions in my field and psychology and the kinds of, uh, you know, parent infant support, um, and sort of therapeutically oriented programs that I've worked with. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a complicated thing. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about some of the myths about clinical hypnosis.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think uh, that's an important one. And especially based on kind of this media portrayal of, of hypnosis and kind of the stage hypnosis that people really have this um, misunderstanding that it's about control and it's really not. Um, hypnosis is not about the person who's um, leading that for someone controlling them. Um, so I always tell my patients, you know, you're in control. You can easily speak when you need to speak. You can tend to your own needs. Um, nobody can make you do something you don't want to do. And, and a lot of people are worried, like, am I going to say something I don't want to disclose? And, and the reality is, no. I mean, you're you are in control during this process uh, another common uh, misconception is that people don't remember what happens during the hypnosis now there is something called post hypnotic amnesia where people sometimes don't remember all the details um but that could happen with anything you know you could be having a conversation with someone and not remember all the details depending on how focused you are uh, when I do hypnosis with patients, I always do a recording and I send that with them. So they might get something different out of it each time, depending oh, on that's what, what nice. they're focusing on. I so didn't know the, yeah. you did that. Yeah. So oh, they I can, wanna, can I
0: get an appointment?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they can listen to that between sessions. And, and then the, like I said, the ultimate goal is that they're going to listen to that and they're going to learn how to apply this, um, for themselves. And so I I think it's, it's just really important for people to kind of be aware of, of what the reality of hypnosis is. Um, another one that I've heard people say is, oh, I once heard someone got stuck in hypnosis. Well, that's just not true. (laughs) It just doesn't work like that. Um, you can't get stuck in hypnosis. Um, and so, uh, that's just, uh, you know, of course, like the person doing stage hypnosis might like people to believe those things, but it's really, um, not true. And so I think it's, it's really important that we think about, uh, the reality of this because it does have a lot of, uh, really beneficial, um, uh, outcomes associated with it. And so it's, it's something that I hope will continue to expand in its application and also become more available.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, I really appreciate your, uh you're willing to be on Mom Enough, Erin, as a guest. And uh, I think this was was really helpful information. I also am thinking of a a good friend in another state who I'm going to really encourage to find someone who can do this kind of clinical hypnosis. And I would like you to say the name of the book you mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation, because uh, I think other people might want to um, get a hold of that book. And we can link to that book title, perhaps from our website uh, when this show is posted, but um, yeah, I'd like the, to I'd the, like to order one meditation with, for fidgety skeptics.
1: Is yeah, that, that's yep. the
0: one. <laughs> yep, meditation for fidgety skeptics. Yes. I know a few of those, but uh, that sounds like a really good book. So I'm yeah. going to buy that as a gift for my friend and uh, see if she can find someone. Yeah, that's a, struggling with some really hard issues. And oh um, yeah, but this would be I, I, you probably know who I mean. And yeah. Um, Yeah. And I just think this would be a really helpful part of her treatment. I spend a lot of time with her just to try to support her at a difficult time. And this sounds like it would be a a nice piece for that. Yeah.
1: Well, that book's by Dan Harris and he he has that 10% happier Mm -hmm. uh, book as well. And um, he's done a lot of great work on, and that's more of a meditation book, but I think that is a, a great uh, skill to develop, and and then if people want to try other types of of uh, mind body skills, hypnosis is a great one to consider.
0: Yeah, and I'm thinking the hypnosis combined with that book would, you know, would really maybe um, maybe be helpful for this particular person and a lot of other people I could think of. Yeah, <laughs> so, yes, yeah, wonderful. Well, great information, Erin, and uh, I'm proud of my daughter. <laughs> Thanks mom. So, and uh, thanks to all of you for tuning in. I'm Marty Erickson here with my daughter, Erin Erickson, and we both will be back next week with another interesting topic and, and great guest. So we hope you will be too. content copyrighted by marty and aaron erickson all rights reserved visit momenough.com for an archive of all momenough shows and many free downloadable resources on child development parenting and maternal health and well-being do you think i'll have a show called kid enough someday